Uh, what a neat, bustling burg that is. Oh, it's changed so much over the years. I went out there and opened that place up about oh, 40 years ago. Hmm. And uh, the community has changed incredibly. It's gone from, you know, a sleepy little village to the place on the lake to live. I mean, it's, yeah. it's very fashionable. All those shops there, I mean, it's like visiting a quaint New England town. It really right is. In our metro area. Absolutely. I just want to make mention of that. It's good going. Well, while we're making mentions of things, I'm going to put in play. I don't know why our country doesn't do what Canada and the entire United Kingdom does and make the day after Christmas a holiday, Boxing Day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when it falls on a Saturday like this, it is a little like having a, a Boxing Day thing. But I've always thought, you know, everybody fusses and preps and spends months getting ready for Christmas, and then it's all over in one day. You know, if he had two days to stretch it out, I think it would be more enjoyable. Yeah, but, good idea. Yep, well, that, that, that's my, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> that's your two cents, okay. Right, and I'll talk a little bit about one of my favorite subjects, champagne. You know, champagne is a remarkable, remarkable beverage. It comes from now, when I say champagne, I'm not talking about all the sparkling wine. I'm only talking about, right now, the champagne from France. It's a special district. It's a little to the north and east of Paris. And it encompasses a lot of acreage. It's kind of triangular, and it's over these fabulous uh, chalk lines that go all the way to the White Cliffs of Dover in England in the subsoil. And champagne gets... It, it's its name from the region. It's called the Champagne region, and thus the name. And Champagne was a, a long time in coming. Uh, the people in Rennes always knew they had devil wine, which was when the wine would undergo secondary fermentation and sometimes blow up in the basement or they'd pour a bottle. It had sparkle in it, but they never were able to tame that sparkle. And like I say, Champagne has a wonderful history. Uh, the Rennes, which is the capital of uh, the Champagne district, is where the cathedral in Rennes is where every French king has been crowned, with the exception of Napoleon, uh, since Clovis in 980 or something like that, a long, long time ago. And uh, they say the area was a favorite spot of the king because the wines were so good. Well, believe me, in the 10th century, the wines weren't anything like they are now. Although the grape types were, they have three grape types there, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Mouniret. And those are the three grape types that go into Champagne. When you get a Blanc de Blanc Champagne, that means white from white, that's made 100% from Chardonnay. But most Champagnes, if you get a regular bottle of, say, Moet and Chandon White Star, that's predominantly Pinot Noir. And you might say, Pinot Noir is a red grape. Yes, it is. But all the juice of all grapes runs clear. There's no color to them at all. The only way a wine gets its color is staying in contact with the grape skin. And so it's not unusual that Pinot Noir is the principal and the sparkling wine, of course, is white. Champagne, like I said, had this noble history. They had this wonderful wine there. The cathedral, incidentally, if you ever go to Rennes, the cathedral is worth seeing. It's a magnificent structure and has some beautiful Marc Chagall windows in it uh, that are worth the trip in themselves. Just 
a wonderful thing. Champagne, you know, is a celebratory drink. It's used in the launching of ships for births, for weddings, uh, for any kind of special promotion, engagements, etc. And there's a reason for that. It's a fun, fun wine. But as I said, it took a long time to develop. And it wasn't until the 1700s, mid-1700s, that sparkling wine, they began to be able to tame it. And they produced a method which was foistered by old Dom Perignon, who was the cellar monk of the Benedictine Abbey in Rennes. And under his tutelage, they began the long process that took hundreds of years to tame that sparkle. And it wasn't really till the mid-1700s when King, the Sun King, Louis XIV, claimed that Champagne was absolutely his favorite. And, and then Champagne began to be shipped around the world. Champagne was the first wine to be shipped in bottles. Prior to that, all wines were shipped in casks. And Champagne was shipped in bottles around the world. And what a different wine it was in those days. It was kind of very sweet and not dry and sparkling like it is today. But uh, it, it really foistered trade because while they always shipped wine to be shipped in bottles, etc., and the, they discovered they had bigger markets outside of France than they did inside of France. The, pardon me. The biggest market was uh, England, and they began to ship this sparkling wine to England. And there were some real pioneers. There's a champagne called Vouve Clicquot, which is uh, the widow Clicquot. She was a pioneer businesswoman. Her husband died and left her with a family and a business, and she didn't know what to do with either one of them. Well, she became a very smart businesswoman. In fact, she invented the riddling rack. The production of champagne is very complex, and it takes a long time. That's why champagne is always so expensive. From the time the grapes are harvested till the bottle comes to you in a store anywhere in the world, it's generally almost three years. So it takes a while, and that's one of the reasons champagnes are fairly expensive because of that time. And in that manufacture of champagne, there's many, many steps. And it's kind of determined uh, the degree of dryness by the dosage they put in the wine before they put it in a riddling rack. And a riddling rack is really a, a board with lots of holes in it, and every day they turn about a quarter turn the bottles. And the turners in the cellars, some of them can do up to 50,000, 50,000 bottles a day. It's just a remarkable thing to watch them. But with each turn, they tilt the bottle up a little bit till eventually the bottle is upside down. And then they take out the cork and all the dreck and stuff that's amassed inside uh, pops out and then they seal it up with the traditional cork that you see. And because it's nine atmospheres of pressure, they have to wire that cap on. So when you unwire a champagne and it pops, it becomes like a mushroom. Originally, when that went into the cork, it, or into the bottle, that cork, it was a, a, a total cylinder. And so it, all that pressure adapts it to when it pops, it's almost like a mushroom. But uh, when they do that, and pop the thing out and put the cork back in, they do a dosage, and that determines the dryness of the champagne. And dry champagne isn't the sweetest, or isn't the driest. Brut champagne is the very driest. Dry is a little sweeter, and sec is a very sweet champagne. 
And, of course, there's hundreds of champagne manufacturers, and they all strive, much like Heinz Ketchup, that the champagne, let's say you were married in 1987, and you had some uh, Bollinger champagne, and then here it is, 2020, and you want to have a celebratory thing, you want to have a bottle of Bollinger. Well, the Bollinger people want you to have that wine taste exactly in 2020, like you remember it from 1987. And that's why all champagnes, are, are the bulk of them, are non-vintage, because they strive for that style, whether it's Moet and Chandon or uh, 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 any manufacturer, Vouv Clico, as I mentioned. Uh, in fact, one of the most expensive champagnes in the world is Dom Perignon, which is named after the monk who really worked out the uh, kinks in the procedure to keep that sparkle in the bottle. And they named the champagne after him, and it's one of the really grand marks of champagne around the world. The other one is Roterer Crystal. And Roterer Crystal comes in a clear glass bottle, and there's a reason for that tradition. The Tsar of Russia used to buy the entire production of Crystal, and he had it bottled in Baccarat Crystal, and thus the name Crystal. And then when the Tsar fell in the early part of the 20th century, uh, they had to sell the special stocks of wine, so they introduced to the world to Cristal this expensive wine, and uh, it was really remarkable. And about that time, uh, they introduced laws and how champagne had to be made, etc. So there is a lot of regulations when you make champagne. Uh, many of the stories about champagne, both world wars were fought through the Champagne District. And as a matter of fact, one time when I was early on, when I was in Champagne, this marvelous Contessa Elaine uh, told a story about George Patton. Apparently she was his mistress. And she told this moving story about what a wonderful man he was, and he wasn't given the proper recognition by our government, etc. But it was kind of fun. And that's the fun of Champagne. Uh, it's the wine of celebration. You have uh, great fun drinking it. They make about 250 million bottles a year, and they send it all over the world. But that real champagne is uh, not to be missed. You you can get imitation. In Germany, they have sect. In Spain, they have cava. In Italy, there's asta and prosecchi, uh, prosecco. And then, of course, there's the Cremants of France, where they make a sparkling wine in the champagne tradition but they make it in a different area. Like uh, you can get a Cremant from Alsace, or you can get a Cremant from Burgundy, or a Cremant from the Loire Valley, or a Cremant uh, from uh, Bordeaux. But anyhow, the real champagne, maybe this is the year you really ought to try a real champagne on your New Year's uh, celebration. This year, of course, we'll be celebrating with much smaller groups, so it wouldn't break the bank to have uh, some champagne. And speaking of that, you know, some of the wags of the world made great comments about champagne. My all-time favorite is Winston Churchill, who was accused of drinking too much champagne. And he simply said, in victory, I deserve it. In defeat, I need it. <laughs> and uh, what's her name? Marlena Dietrich said the only thing better than a glass of champagne is a bottle. And champagne is like duct tape. It fixes everything. 
<laughs> Madam Bollinger said, when I'm happy, I drink it. When I'm alone, it's obligatory. And I never touch it unless I'm thirsty. <laughs> Betty Davis said, there comes a time in a woman's life when the only thing that'll help is a glass of champagne. Uh, Coco Chanel said, I drink it when I'm in love. And, of course, when I'm not in love, I have to have it. Mark Twain said, too much of anything is bad, but too much champagne is just right. And, of course, Oscar Wilde said, everything in moderation, especially moderation. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> well, Jack, I, I tell you what, whether it be champagne or uh, spirits or whatever the case may be, head to any one of the Haskell's locations. Right. You can ring out the old year and toast the arrival of the new year with a bottle of sparkling wine for Haskell's. It's your headquarters for the finest wines in champagne. We carry over 200 different kinds of sparkling wine, so there's bound to be one that's your favorite. And of course, we're still in our holiday sale, which will go through the middle of January, so you can stop in at any Haskell's and save big, big dollars on wine or champagne. There's a Haskell's near you, Bloomington, Excelsior, Faribault, right off at 35. Our super seller in Maple Grove is not to be missed. In downtown Minneapolis, there's free parking on Saturday and Sunday. Of course, our wonderful store at Ridgedale, Plymouth, St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come into Haskell's, go to Haskell's.com or give us a call. And don't forget, we do deliver. We follow all the protocols. You can call in and even have curbside pickup. Haskell's are the wine people, and there's a good reason for that. We've been doing this for 86 years. Well, Jack, we'll be able to talk with you, I hope, in the new year. May I'm it be a better one. I'm forward to that, Denny, and I want to wish you and all our loyal WCCO listeners a very, very happy and healthy new year. Sounds great. Thank you, Jack. Bye, be safe. Thanks very much. Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Uh, get those lawn and garden questions ready. That's coming along next hour here on WCCR Smart Garden Show. Master Gardener Teresa Rooney will be helping us out next hour. So call it in or text it in your lawn or garden questions. Right now, fog and mist is reported here in the Twin Cities. We have 16 degrees. We are on our way to 25 with snow coming in tomorrow. Stay with us.